Hello everybody and welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer Podcast, brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us as we start this new journey through Activist Lawyer, where we will be discussing matters that matter, engaging not only with lawyers, but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts and invite you to share yours. We will be looking for contributors to our blog and our podcast series as we want your perspective as we unravel and unpack a plethora of issues that have probably always been here but have really been brought to the fore this year, 2020, a very unsettling time for many. All is not lost and we will be remembering those who hold a light in difficult times, celebrating activists within our local communities and those further afield who offer us hope and inspiration. My name is Sarah Henry and I am a solicitor practising in Newry City. I worked with a human rights firm in Dublin for many years and with a number of rights-based organisations and charities. I'm joined today by Jack McClelland, who is a law student at Queen's University Belfast studying a Master's in Law. He has an interest in human rights, criminal justice and immigration. Jack also has the unenviable task as working as my legal assistant. So thank you, Jack, for helping out with the Activist Lawyer podcast today. No problem. Okay, so the title of today's podcast, this is our first session, is really timely. Activist Lawyer, Insults and Inspiration. Yeah. So a little bit of a negative connotation there, but we're also going to go through some positive aspects of our the current times that we live in. So lefty lawyers, activist lawyers, loudmouth lawyers. Have I left anyone out, Jack? Um, you forgot <laughs> about do-gooder lawyers. Oh, sorry, the do-gooders. That's right. Uh, those attacks on people who actually work for the voluntary sector. Um, I think these came from Miss Pretty Patel, the Home, the, uh, home Secretary, last week. Um, and is it really a case that she's attacking those that do good? So we've been looking at this in great detail over the last few weeks and we as lawyers and of course just members of the public are now familiar with the bombardment of insults hurled at the legal profession by those in senior positions of public office. Um, Jack, you've heard it all. Who am I talking about here? Who are we referring to? Yeah, well, it's it's come from the top. Um, so it's come from the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, <gasps> uh, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, and spokespeople from the Home Office, all led by Priti Patel herself. Oh. Gosh, wow. So really those at the very top, as Jack has said. And really, this has been going on for some time now. A few weeks ago, um, people might remember the Home Office issued a tweet as part of a new campaign, and I think it attached to a video. And in the context of that tweet, it referred to the activist lawyers, these dangerous group of people who are pretty much hampering the process um, and stalling um, the asylum system, this broken asylum system. And then, so I think they retracted that or they deleted it and somebody from within the Home Office apologised. But then again, lo and behold, we have uh, the Home Secretary again referring um, referring to lawyers by slinging insults at them. I think most recently it was at a Conservative Party conference that she lashed out at, quote, the traffickers, the do-gooders, the lefty lawyers and the Labour Party who are defending the broken asylum system. And then, of course, as you pointed out, Jack, the Prime Minister picked up on these comments and actually used them again a couple of days later. So we know that um, the Law Society um, has issued a statement around this And the president of the Law Society of Northern Ireland, Rowan White, quickly jumped up 
and issued um, a defence of lawyers and said it was deeply troubling to hear the Prime Minister repeat the Home Secretary's recent attack on so-called lefty lawyers for representing refugees and asylum seekers. So today we're not just going to focus on asylum and migration and refugees, etc. We're going to focus on this use of language, how it's quite toxic and it's becoming the norm and we're really getting getting used to it. So, you know, it seems to be, as we said, part of society now. But how damaging is this? And is there anything positive that we can take away from this? So this started the wheels of motion again to kind of spur this debate onwards. And Jack, as a student of the law, um, you know, how do you look at this? And how have your colleagues been picking this up? Yeah, well, um, we've talked a lot about this in class, especially after our um, first year studying law. We studied about the separation of powers Mm -hmm. and how the government should be separate from the judicial system. But over the last number of weeks and months, comments obviously from Pretty Patel and Boris Johnson have completely destroyed that premise of separation of powers because they've taken it upon themselves to criticise the judicial system as a, basically as a whole, not even just concentrating on immigration issues. So it it really it has annoyed people who are stu- studying law, especially in my class, that we're going on to practice law and we feel like we're being criticised then by the government for wanting to carry out, um, or basically lawyers are carrying out their jobs and being criticised for it. Um, and as you're saying, it, it could be a slip of the tongue, it could be anger from, from the government uh, based on uh, solicitors working in the immigration system, but it's it's clearly not a slip of the tongue because it's been backed up by Boris Johnson, as you said, the Home Office, deleted tweets, but the they, re- they didn't really apologise for it. Um, so it's a deliberate use of language to put a negative turn on lawyers. Uh, and they've, d- they've done it in the past and they'll probably continue to do it in the future to use specific language to put a negative turn on lawyers and especially around the immigration system, which is which is a, a serious topic that people find mm-hmm. very, very... Emotive. Th- and yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's really these trends. And as you said, it really does continue. I was reading an article recently in The Guardian um, by the former BBC Director General Mark Thompson, and he's picked up on this, as many people have. But it's just a really interesting quote here. These trends have many social, economic and political causes, but public language, the language we use when we discuss politics or policy or make our case in court or try to persuade anyone of anything else in a public context, seems to me to be at the heart of the matter. Indeed, I believe we, were li- we are living through what amounts to a crisis in public language. So, I mean, is this a crisis? How serious is this? I mean, we have the Law Society defending people to say maybe, you know, solicitors and lawyers are at risk of serious harm and at risk of attack. I mean, these are quite strong words. So I agree with you, Jack, as well. I mean, these aren't slip a slip of the tongue kind of situation. I think these are deliberate, carefully constructive constructed words um, and a very deliberate ploy to really garner uh, support from the public and to plant a seed um, in the public's mind and get things kind of stirred up again. I'm afraid for me, a lot of this harks back uh, to the language of Enoch Powell. Uh, Years ago, I read a book, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Bloody Foreigners by Robert Winder. And it really rattled me about how people at the top, you know, use such horrendous language against um, ethnic minorities and minority groups. 
And at a time, this would have actually included Irish Irish people in the UK as well. And the book remembers Enoch Powell um, as the Conservative MP, infamous for his 1968 speech, The Rivers of Blood. Um, and really, what we're looking at here today is has much changed. I mean, that was back years and years ago. But the language there, yes, it was more direct. Um, we could say that things were are somewhat a little bit muted now. But Jack, I mean... Have things changed? How has language moved on? And are we still where we were at, only in a more carefully constructed way? Yeah, it's racism has become definitely more subtle, but uh, especially with the introduction of laws to um, stop racial discrimination, whether it be act or speech, um, and therefore racism has definitely become more subtle, but it's 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 still there. Um, but as you've seen from Farage with the Brexit campaign, he based his whole campaign on anti-immigration mm-hmm. and use specific language and specific words to, to, uh, to gain support from his target audience um, and you could say you could say that the whole Brexit campaign was won on anti-immigration mm-hmm. uh, I know that a lot of reports have come out now after Brexit and it's, it's too late to see the we're truth <laughs> yeah we're there and the Labour Party have said have basically said that they're not going to fight mm-hmm. uh, us leaving EU, which yeah. it's it's over now, um, but a lot of reports have come out both for Farage and for in terms of the anti-immigration myths that he was putting out, and w- according to money as well about the money that was supposedly going to go into the NHS after mm-hmm. we left Europe, and it's it's all come out as as basically lies, but. Um, but the language around that was very strong. I mean, what I pick up most from the anti um, or from the Leave campaign was the whole anti-immigration, you know, about jobs, protect our jobs, protect our NHS. And I think a few reports, I think the Migrant Advisory Committee issued a report that really dispels um, some of these myths that we might talk about a little bit later. But really, we don't have to go too far back in time. Now, you're much, much younger than me, Jack. Um, I'm the oldest here. Um, you might not be able to tell. But um, we'll think about another um, iconic person who really used language in a very, very careful, um, considered way. Not considerate, um, but looking at Margaret Thatcher, who, of course, was the leader of the Conservative Party between 1975 and 1990, and who also served as the UK Prime Minister between 1979 and 1990. I did not realise it was that long, but she was really um, a master at influencing the public through the use of strong words. And whatever we think about her, her actions, her image, her words became iconic. And we were looking recently at, um, when we were discussing all of this, a 1978 interview um, for the Current Affairs programme, World in Action. And she claimed that British people feared being swamped. So this was the big word that she used by immigrants from the new Commonwealth and Pakistan. When asked by the interviewer how severely she would cut the immigration numbers if she got to power, she replied, if we went on as we are, then by the end of the century, there would be four million people of the new Commonwealth or Pakistan here. Now that is an awful lot and I think it means that people are really rather afraid that the country might be rather swamped by people with a different culture. She goes on to say, the British character has done so much for democracy, for law and done so much throughout the world that if there is any fear that it might be swamped by people, people are going to react and be rather hostile to those coming in. Following this interview, Enoch Powell, who we referred to earlier, expressed his hope and relief at Thatcher's comments. 
Thatcher was elected Prime Minister the following year. So you see here how her words really, really helped shape society. And um, I saw a follow up to that interview where the um, the reporter goes off and asks people on their perceptions and what they, they took away from that. And they all really, a lot of them agreed with her, even though they didn't actually support her because she used powerful language. And then after this, of course, we see references to floods, swamping, um, influxes and similar analogies um, have consistently been used by politicians to win seats, setting a real kind of a narrative and figures can actually dispel these myths and it's often false and inflated. Yeah, what you were basically saying, Jack. Yeah, so so. what we were talking about earlier about some reports that have come out after Brexit, um, one of the myths that were dispelled by facts and figures was that uh, how cheap labour depressed the British workers' um, pay. Mm-hmm. And a report from the Migration Advisory Committee basically stated that in terms of wages, the existing evidence and the analysis we present in the report suggests that migration is not a major determinant on the wages of UK-born workers. But it's a mm-hmm. bit too late now. And that's just one of many, one of I many, imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the UK, but then of course we have a whole other kettle of fish across yeah. the water where we have um, Donald Trump, the Wordsworth of our time. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Exchange. Do you need an office or a meeting room space? Granite Exchange is the ultimate serviced office and meeting room facility. Located in the heart of Newry City, it is perfectly placed between Belfast and Dublin. Each office suite is fully furnished and comes with an all-inclusive monthly fee with no long-term contract. All you have to do is show up and switch on. The rest is taken care of. For more information, call 028 3044 2500 or visit www.granite-exchange.com. So the UK and the US are continually becoming more similar mm-hmm. day by day. Uh, so you've got Donald Trump with three simple words, but had a serious message that targeted a lot of people and basically led him to win the 2016 election. And the three words were build that wall. Not only did that mean build the wall and keep Mexicans out, and it actually being a physical wall, but it meant for the whole country, keeping people out from coming into the, the almighty USA. USA. So... Rather than it just being, as you say, like a physical structure, it was an ideology and, you know, something that people it became embedded in people's minds as yeah. a symbol of let's, you know, protect our borders. And it feeds into the whole Brexit narrative that was happening at the same time. It's about this us and them kind of um, concept. And I think build that wall. I mean, he captured it perfectly. I mean, a completely awful remarks and we would <laughs> never support that language. Yeah. But he, I mean... It's effective. And when I think about the 2016 campaign between Trump and Clinton, I think of his language more than hers. And another thing, I mean, this is the first time we've got a president, you know, using Twitter as, as a tool to communicate his message, um, you know, more than ever. And it just takes him three or four or five words to captivate billions of people around the world because, of course, his message goes out to millions and it influences them. So really, his language is chosen by him, whether he thinks about it too much, I can't imagine. But whatever he says influences the young, the old, wherever they are. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing for him is to get tweets out, no matter mm-hmm. what the tweets say. He's, he's put out a serious amount of tweets that do not make sense, but he wants to keep his brand there. Obviously, 
the marketing people behind him just know that today's society is based all on social media so he's putting out whatever and whenever he wants which is smart no matter if you agree with his tweets or not it's a smart strategy because all people talk about now is what Donald Trump is tweeting but they're effective nonetheless and even my six-year-old daughter recently asked did that wall ever get built you know I still I don't know if it, it has Um, you might know Jack yeah it's there's almost um, there. <laughs> not the, that it's important but. I've seen a couple of pictures and yeah. you never know today whether they're real or not but <laughs> you, I've seen a couple of structures being put up in the desert yeah but uh, yeah structures in the desert so um the fact remains that six-year-old children know about build that wall and that's actually quite scary isn't it um but yes reaching millions of people around the world with his carefully chosen language and his tweets what else has been going on in the u.s that you've been looking into jack yeah so um as was mentioned earlier about um george floyd and how that has impacted here and how other incidents in the UK has impacted as well. Um, for some people that don't know the George Floyd incident that sparked outrage across the world, he it was an event that happened on the 25th of May in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a 46-year-old black man named George Floyd who was arrested after using a supposed $20 bill that was counterfeit um, to buy stuff out of a store. The police arrived and the events that followed, George Floyd lost his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sparked outrage as it was filmed. It was filmed and put onto the internet. And as we know, today's society, it shot across the world and millions, if not billions of people seen it. Um, the words that he used that really got to people uh, were, I can't breathe, as he lay under the knee of the police officer that has now been arrested and hopefully justice does follow. So really, it's almost like out of these tragedies come strength, yeah, and strength in numbers, strength in words, and strength through actions. It's really soul-destroying to think of that. It's really harrowing, isn't it, that those words that were actually spoken by people who later lost their lives were yeah. picked up. But I suppose that's the positive energy that comes out of this. And, I mean, in the midst of all of this, let's not forget we are in the middle of a pandemic. And, I mean, that's just a catalyst to bring all of this to the fore. And even that itself is showing the divides within society. So we're, we're all dealing with a lot. Um, you know, and 2020 will go down as really a year in history. But something that we should all also remember as well, just to kind of take a positive spin on all of this, um, although it's it's not positive to say that we sadly this year um, lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who we know was just a formidable force, um, one of the Supreme Court justices in the United States. And really, um, I think it's timely that we speak about her, especially now that we're talking about language and these particular insults that are hurled at lawyers against people, you know, who work and stand up for the vulnerable within our community. Um, And just looking at her, I mean, the words and the language and speeches following her um, passing really focus on her transformational role in ending centuries of legal discrimination against women. Um, We think about her dissents, you know, in the pursuit of justice, her own strategy of encouraging people not just to listen, um, but to really hear and to go along with her. We've seen how she carefully chooses her words, chose her words, realising the impact that they would have on others. And when we were looking at this, I find it really interesting. I've been reading a lot about her recently, but she followed a school of thought inspired by Vladimir Nabokov, who taught her European literature in Cornell when she was a student. And he stressed the careful selection of perfect words. 
And I think throughout her lifetime, she was witness to verbal assaults on both her office, but also on the judiciary. And this, as we see today, Jack has given loads of examples there, sadly continues. And ultimately, I mean, what happens when a politician or someone in power uses this language and relies on insults against lawyers to further their own agenda? This not only exposes lawyers to a risk of harm, but also in a very sinister way, does serve to undermine the legal system and of course the rule of law. So I suppose on the flip side of all of this, and I mean, we see it as a response from these so-called activist lawyers, and the like, um, they really have taken to own the term. And I think we've both seen that, Jack, just, yeah. I mean, especially on social media, you see these, the loudmouth lawyer and activist lawyers, people are proud and they're embracing it. And it's really shining a light on the work that they do. And I think that's what we've seen. It's almost like um, a pattern, something happens, something bad, and then people are really latching onto it and owning it and standing up uh, for what they believe in and really, um, you know, using social media and using all of these tools to get their message across. An activist lawyer, what, what the re- loudmouth lawyer, all of these, the, le- yeah. the lefty lawyers, yeah. people are proud of that and they've latched onto it. So although it was meant in a very derogatory term, and it was insulting and it still has to be. I mean, it's it's great that uh, the Bar Council and the law societies have come up and stood up for their lawyers and really represented them. It's great that people do now feel encouraged and they should feel encouraged and supported in their work as they continue continue this work. And you can speak on behalf of students as well, Jack. How, how are students really grasping, you know, this this movement? And yeah, I, th- I think it's so important, especially when somebody criticises you or, or use derogatory terms especially something as ridiculous as activist lawyer, instead of suppressing that language, I think it's so important to to really accept, not accept it, but grab on it and say, yes, we're activists. And that's not a bad thing. I, I don't know why no. uh, some ridiculous thing that, that the UK government and the American government are doing is using activists as a as a bad as a, term. Yeah, as a bad term. But I think the most important thing is to grab on it and run with it. And run with it, yeah. And do positive things out of out of it and that's that's the best thing to do it is and that's what we'll do here we want to work um to explore you know the work that people are doing those activists within our community as this series continues and i suppose we'll come across who knows what's around the corner next week um and so look on that note i think we'll end our session today and we invite you and your colleagues to participate in this conversation get involved um, you'll be able to contribute maybe to our podcast and also to our blog. The details will be found in the links. Um, so, yeah, you've been listening to the Activist Lawyer podcast recorded at the Granite Podcast Studio in Newry City. I have been Sarah Henry and joined today by Jack McClelland. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.